Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to another edition of the Bandwagon Podcast. And today is, um, you know, I get excited sometimes. And I re- and sometimes the fanboy in me really comes out. And um, I make no apologies for that. But I've got a guest today who, um, when it's all said and done, is one of the pantheons of UK Punjabi music. And is just so talented and is just unbelievable. So without further ado, Shin DCS, welcome to the Bandwagon Podcast. Thank you very much, Ricky. It's a pleasure to be here, mate. Oh, um, yes, finally got it done. Just trying to settle on dates. It was just, it was a bit, <laughs> a bit crazy, but I, I had to get you in because yeah. I've done, I've done um, a few with like uh, Buddha Jack Pasta Dara, and okay. you've always been a kind of common denominator in a lot of those conversations that come out. So it was only just, it was only right to kind of get you to kind of complete some of their stories. That was, that was a. Um, you know, okay. just give the background onto it. Okay. Okay. So, in in terms of your, in terms of like, I've, I've, I've um, I was listening to quite a lot of your interviews on on online, and there's always this theme that you're you're actually getting younger and younger. Um, <laughs> as the more interviews you're looking like, you know, it's, it, it, uh, how do you how do you keep up appearances, basically? Well, I don't think I'm getting younger, as as you can see, right? It's uh, I've, I've got I've got the silver fox at the moment. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of in at the moment, you know. So every, everybody during lockdown, right? Mm. Uh, there was a lot of like silver hair came into fashion, came mm. into vogue again, right? Yeah. Uh, but just before lockdown, and then during lockdown, uh, there were no shows on. There was nothing happening, so I was just around the house all the time. So you know, and and I've been dyeing my hair like since I was in my late twenties and stuff. Well, we got we we've got I've got a note on here about the blonde hair. So we, yeah, we, right. Yeah. Well, yeah, bleaching and blonding, uh, you know, and, and dyeing and whatever. And uh, so during lockdown, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to stop stop doing all this dyeing business, you know, because I, I I let it grow out for a while, and then I thought, well, you, you know, I don't look so I don't look that bad, you know. Mm. And the, the family were saying, well, you should just go like that now, you know, let it be, let it be natural. So I thought, yeah, what. Going old gracefully. Yeah, yeah, going old gracefully. And and everybody's accepted it. And you know what? Everybody knows I, I'm not a spring chicken. Yeah. You know, I've been I've been in the industry for nearly 40 years now. So um, you know, I thought I'd just let it go. And, and everybody tells me it looks good. So I you know, I believe what people are saying to me. But you know, uh, I mean about looking young all the time. Um I, I'm just a health fanatic, really, you know, keep fit fanatic. I, I watch what I eat. Basically, because I'm a singer, you know, I, I have to watch what I eat. Otherwise, it kind of, you know, upsets my voice a lot. I'm, I'm quite fragile. My voice is quite fragile in that respect, mm. uh, which which has turned out to be a good thing because I eat healthy. I get down to the gym, uh, uh, you know, and it's helped me to kind of stay slim and stay look, stay young looking as well. Yeah. 
is that something that you find the dedication to the art where you looked at kind of mind, body and soul and connecting it together? I mean, it's not no coincidence that you've got those plaques behind you. You, you know, your 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 catalogue of work, the relationships that you got with people, your fans and everybody, you know, you can yeah. see that in there. Like the dedicate, like your vocals now sound unbelievable like you can see when you hear certain artists that they're getting older and older they're losing that but i listen yeah. to uh mongol on um on facebook live when he does some of his stuff on it and like he ain't yeah. missing a trick in it and like your is you're exactly the same way it just sound you're sounding exactly like the tape from from back in the day back in the day <laughs> yeah well yeah i think it, it is the dedication to the art you know uh and my voice has always been my my priority priority in my whole life, since uh, I, I I went full time into music, which was like late eighties, early nineties, mm. uh, and from that point on, you know, I made a promise to myself that I was going to look after myself, look after my voice, because like we were doing, we were gigging crazy at that time, like you know, doing three or four gigs a week, five gigs a week sometimes, you know, and we'd be out on the road all the time, and you can't keep, you, you can't sustain that kind of lifestyle unless you're looking after yourself. Yeah. You know, you can't abuse yourself. You can't be um, eating out on the road all the time uh, and drinking what you feel like, you know, and, and smoking and doing what, you know, you, you can't do that. You can't lead that kind of a lifestyle if you want longevity mm. as a singer. And it's not easy being out, being out on the road. You know, life is quite tough. So you've got to be quite resilient, really, especially the amount that we've been out on the road, mm. you know, traveling in backs of van, in, in the van, traveling in... At, all hours of the morning, coming back from gigs like it's six o'clock in the morning. Everyone's going to work, and we're we're turning up, coming back from a gig, you know, and, yeah. and and going to sleep and stuff, and then doing it again the next day. So you know, it's been a crazy lifestyle, but it, it, you know, you can only sustain it if you're very dedicated to looking after yourself, and you're very dedicated to your art. So you know, like you, you've mentioned, kind of like three. Like I was born in '82. I've just turned forty, and so like you've kind of like I'm not saying it in a way that of your age, kind of, but you're you've been singing longer than I've been born. You know what I mean? And <laughs> the way that you, yeah, just to make you feel better, but just in terms of like how the reinvention of yourself, like this, mm. you've got different images, and I think I think that's very rare. You'll see an artist now having the same appearance, the same way that they've been, and they had the manner. It hasn't changed at all. Do you reckon? Yeah. Did you because you because you were professional in that way? Did you see that as when you first got into breaking breaking into music to have that longevity that this is something that you needed to do to look at a mainstream like George Michael and Michael Jackson and all these people had different, yeah. different stages of their career? Yeah, you know, um, with every album that DCS recorded, we always used to like tweak our image, tweak the way we're looking to a certain extent, change the hairstyle or change the way we're, we're dressed or change the style sense at that time. Uh, you know, uh, I, I felt that is uh, what well, I feel that is very important for artists to kind of try and stay relevant. Not only has our music changed over the years, but our look has also changed. We've, we've grown up, we're getting older, you know, and like you say, you know, it, you have to embrace it. If you embrace it and you're comfortable within yourself, then people, people will be comfortable looking at, you know, people accept it and people like the way that you look, you know, and um, the amount of compliments I get now and and the amount of people that are telling me that I still look very young and still, you know, uh, is great, you know, and, and, and touch wood, you know, 
you know, a cat malaki stars, you know, that yeah. I've got good genes, uh, which, which do help, you know, mm. to a certain extent to, to, you know, to, for me to, to look young and, and present myself on stage and, and still be pretty, you know, be able to be vibrant with the crowd. I want to test your memory at this point. It's like my first, you were one of the first bands that I ever remember. And I see, I remember seeing you twice in two weeks. One, it was at the Hen and Chickens in Albury. Um, oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. And then the other ones was, so that's now like a buffet place now. Yeah, right. Well, not the wedding. Hen- yeah, wedding. it was a wedding. It was a wedding there. Yeah, we used to do weddings there back in the day. Yeah. And then the second one was um, Kings in. Um, yeah, Hamsworth Hamsworth Wood, yeah, Hamsworth Hampstead Road, Hampstead Road. That's it, and I remember it. I remember seeing you there because, and it was also there could have been a World Cup or something going on at the same time because I remember half of the the blokes were outside listening to radio what the score was. Well, cool. Yeah, all right, yeah. But yeah, that was what. So I always had this. I have it with a few bands because I was I'm born in Hansworth, lived in Hansworth, so I was like I was always a bang head in in terms of getting it. Right. That's not about me as a kid, but what was a, a young Shin like? Young Shin? Uh, well, um, I was always very musical, right? I remember uh, when I was very young, probably about six, seven, uh, my, my dad was like a, a big uh, Bollywood film buff, right? Because it was just mainly Bollywood films back in the day. Mm. Uh, I'm going back to like the 60s now, right? When I was growing up, and uh, we every weekend we'd, we'd go down the cinema, and there'd be like two films on for one ticket, like, and my cousins would be there, and we'd, with without fail, every weekend we'd congregate at some cinema or another in the in Birmingham. There were about four or five cinemas that everybody used to go to, and we'd go there and we'd watch films. And I grew up listening to these film songs and watching these films and seeing these massive stars from the sixties and seventies, and. Um, my dad used to buy all the records and the spool, spool tapes back in the day. And all the music would be playing in our house all the time. And I remember I used to hum along to these songs that my dad would be, would be playing. Mm. And I got to learn how to speak Hindi and Punjabi from singing those songs. And I learned my musical craft, how to sing by singing along with these songs. That, that that were in these films that were so popular, super hit tracks from back in the day. And the one singer I picked up on was Muhammad Rafi, because in the 60s, like, he was massive. And I found, like, when I was six or seven, right, that I could hum, <coughs> I could hum a whole whole song, including the whole music pieces, and I, re- I retained all the lyrics as well. Wow. You know, and I, I couldn't read or write Hindi or Punjabi, but... I remembered the whole song, all the music pieces, all the beats, and every, all the rhythm and everything. And I surprised myself. I thought, wow, this is, this is quite odd. And I remember when I did this, we'd, be, we'd spent a day in Blackpool, right? Uh, it was winter. We went to see the Blackpool Illuminations. We used to go every other year or something with my dad. The whole family used to go. And on the way back at night, we were all asleep in the back of the van. And I, I was like trying to go to sleep. And I just started humming a song in my mind. And I can't remember which song it was now, but I remember distinctly that I could remember it from beginning to end completely with all the music and all the lyrics and all the singing. And I surprised myself, bloody hell, I, said, I know this song. And then I, that way I started to realise that I'm musically inclined. And then I started messing around with more stuff. Then I started learning harmonium with a friend of mine who used to go down the local Gurdwara, yeah. uh, Ramgiriya Gurdwara in um, Hockley in Birmingham. 
There used to be a uh, a teacher there, Gurdjieff Singh Rasi. I used to teach rags and stuff. So I, I started going with my mate while I was at school and uh, borrowed my mate's vajja for a couple of weeks and ended up keeping it for a couple of years, uh, just doing rags and practicing my scales and stuff. And and then I started working out songs and stuff. And I realized that you know I've got a knack for this. Uh, I just started singing from there, and one thing just led to another and led to another, and before you know it. it so, like, that, that might not be in a sort of common pathway at that time. And then, yeah. you know, when it started to become a little bit more serious, how, how was that discussion with the family where they kind of, like, they, they've seen the talent for so long, they were, like, encouraging it? Or was it, like, to drop karke, you know, go and do something else? No, you know what it was? They'd encourage it, right? Yeah. Uh, like if I'm at a party or something, somebody's wedding or or, or a party somewhere, they say, "Oh, should be able to get ga ga It was that kind of thing, right? And then then you get up and you know, oh, I was dying to get up anyway, you know, and sing. And then I'd get up and sing a couple of Punjabi songs, couple sing a couple of Bollywood songs, you know, and, and you know, and that's great. I'd love it. I get my party piece done, right? Or I'd go and gate crash some like college party or something, some Asian night or somewhere going on somewhere. I'd just go along with my mate who used to play tabla back in the day and gate crash and, and just get a chance to get on stage right but then when i told my family that i, want, I was serious about this and i wanted to do this right uh because we, we were involved in the rag trade right we had a family business going on so everybody needed to be involved in the family business and when i said i want to become a singer i don't want to do this rag trade business anymore right that's when the shit that I started, <laughs> when I started getting told off by my dad and stuff and, you know, getting aggro for, for going out and going to these parties and going, you know, singing here and there and all that kind of business. And, and then my dad sat me down and he said, look, son, if you want to do this, right, you're going to have to do it on your own. We are not going to help you. Right. And I just got married about a year before that. Yeah. And uh, he said, um, if you want to do it, you're going to have to leave the house. Go and do it on your own, right? We're not going to help you. You sort yourself out, get a place on rent or whatever. You go out and you, and you do it, right? And you prove to us that you can do it. And you, oh, if you can do it, you'll value you. You know, and you make it. You'll value what you've what you've gained, you know. And I thought it was quite harsh at the time, but later on, I kind of respected my dad for that because he he made me earn what I did, you know, and. It, if I had had their support, perhaps I might not have worked that hard for it, you know, because I'm comfortable. Yeah. But when, when I realized that, okay, I'm out on the street now, you know, and I've got a wife uh, and uh, I've got a kid on the way. So I've got to get my head down and I've got to make this work. I've got to make this happen. So I worked hard, you know, and, and met up with a couple of guys, Danny and Charlie with the D and the C from DCS. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we started uh, making demo tapes and stuff. And, uh, we managed to get a record deal with the EMI Gramophone Company of India. We made loads of demo tapes, took them down to their offices and they liked what we were doing and they gave us a record deal and we recorded our first album. So was it, was, there's, a, there's a couple of bits I want to kind of, um, you know, what you've said, especially around, you know, with the young kids that you see now, it's like giving music is so disposable in terms of like, it's just flooded the market, so saturated. But, yeah. just, but as a young person in general, like I, I'm guilty. I've got two kids, and um, you know, I they say something, I end up just giving it them anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> but there, there is a value in the struggle, isn't there? That you know, when you when you and do you feel that's being lacked, um, society-wise, on a general bit, but especially in the art in the in the in the arts at this moment where everything's just been kind of just given on a plate. 
Yeah, you know what? It, what what I think is everything is too easily accessible for the generation now, uh, like music applications and everything. Uh, you know, it's it's all it's all available on one tablet on one computer, and you, and kids and, and you can easily get into it and start making music. I mean, my my little my my grandson who's at six. He makes music on a tablet, you know, and it's so easy the way they've got programs. Mm. He can make a beat and then play some notes on it. You know, whether it makes any sense or not is a different matter, but he can do it and he can get into it if he wants to. You know, back in the day, we didn't have all that. If you wanted to learn the craft, you had to pick up an actual keyboard and play it yourself. You couldn't just, you know, program it through your notes and you had to learn to play the keyboard. You had to learn to play the guitar. You can't get samples. You know, you had to learn it. And if you wanted to sing, there was no auto tuners or anything like that back in the day. You had to learn how to sing in beat, in rhythm, and in tune, you know. And you had to put the time in to be able to do that. Mm. Now, with all the gadgetry and everything, things are a lot easier and a lot more accessible. People don't need to. You don't have to be the best singer in the world to be able to make a good recording. As long as you can sing half decent, yeah. the engineer in the studio can do most of the... What forty to fifty percent of the work in making you sound good? He can bring you into as you know. He can bring you into tune. He can bring you into beat. He can put loads of effects on your voice, make you sound fantastic. You know, and you you'll sound brilliant. You know, so I think that's one thing that's come through when doing these podcasts. When you speak to artists, where they say the value of having a good sound engineer is is immense because they could oh yeah give you that 20, 35% extra that isn't necessarily there the way that they do it. But also at the same time, using the same engineer, albums started to sound a little bit the same as well. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. So I'm going to risk something here. Were you, was there <laughs> another band just before DCS that you that you were part of, like a Hindi band or Bollywood band? No, what it was, when, when DCS started making music, right? Yeah. When we formed DCS, actually, right? Yeah. We were doing Bollywood stuff. We were doing like disco music, right? right? Because at that time in the early 80s, uh, disco music was really popular in the UK. Bollywood disco music, right? Because it was like the Nazir Hassan time, uh, the Kurbani film. Kurbani was a film which had that track in it. All that kind of stuff was going on, right? And it was massive. And uh, so our first album was like a pop album, uh, making like disco. But we, but we had like disco, rock, reggae, a lot of different influences that were, you know, that, that we had in our music, that we were brought up with in this country. So uh, it wasn't just a pure all that uh, disco album. Uh, so that album was released. It did pretty well in India, actually, for us. And that's when I had my blonde hair. Mm. And the BBC Asian Network called Nays and Jeevan back in the day at that time. And they picked up on this album and they had us on TV quite a few, quite often we were on, on TV. We recorded a whole live session for them. So they'd put it on every other Sunday or something, you know. So we started getting popular because of that. And then there was a film that was being produced in Birmingham, uh, a Bollywood film uh, called Cricketer. And we got the opportunity to do the soundtrack to that movie. Right. Uh, it was starring Dipti Neville and Mark Zuber, who was a big, big, who was, they were big stars at that time in Bollywood. Uh, and we got an opportunity to make the music for that film. Uh, and that kind of did well for us as well. You know, people picked it up here. It went on TV a lot. 
did all right in India. The soundtrack did really well for us, you know. So we made a lot of headway like that, right? But uh, how we came into Bangla music, right? Let me tell you how, how that happened. Yeah. We were, our record company was based in Southall, right? And we went down to their offices, EMI, by the way, EMI Gramophone Company of India. They had their section in Southall. And we went down to their offices. It was a Friday night, I remember, right? And we were going to, we had the meeting with them and everything. And then we were going to drive back. It was about six, seven o'clock in the evening. And they said, you're going to head back to Birmingham now. Uh, and we said, yeah, we're going to head back to Birmingham. They said, well, do you want to come and see a show? <coughs> Excuse me. And we said, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll come and watch. What's the show? And they said, uh, <coughs> there's a there's Bangra band that's going to play. A Bangra band. Right. And they're playing at the Harrow Leisure Centre, which is just down the road. And it's a band called Alarp, they said, right. And I I thought, yeah, yeah, I've heard of a LARP. They've got that they've got that song, Bub Yeah, right? I said, Yeah, yeah, let's go. So we 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 went down there with the record company, right? And we walked into that room. Big it's a massive like leisure center. And there's people. Uh, I could see that there was a live band set up on stage, right? There was just instruments on stage. And there's loads of people just standing around, standing around, you know, and having drinks and stuff, and and there's some music playing in the background. And we're just chatting with them and stuff. And then all of a sudden the lights go dim and the musicians walk out onto stage, right? And they start up their instruments and stuff. And this one guy with a with a scarf, right, walks up to the main mic, right, and starts playing his thumbi and they start start their music. And the place went crazy. Everybody's on the dance floor and they're dancing away. And I'm I'm, I'm me, Danny, and Charlie, we're just looking at each other. What the hell is happened here? What what just happened? You know what I mean? I'd never been to a Bangla gig before. I'd never seen how it all works. So, and when we saw this happening, and that people danced from start to finish, we stayed there till about midnight, you know, until the thing finished. And we watched the whole show. And from the beginning to the end, people did not stop dancing. It was crazy. And I thought, bloody hell, this is amazing. We, we, got, we got to do some of this stuff, right? And on the journey back home from London to Birmingham, that night we made a decision that we're going to record a Bangla album and, uh, and we're going to start doing some Bangla songs and stuff. So we, and then we recorded an album called Teri Song, which was our first Bangla album. And then we never looked back since, you know, it was just a crazy journey. It was a crazy time. It was a crazy time. So yeah, Alap was, Alap was the band responsible and generally sing for, for making us, uh, making DCS do their first Bangla album. Yeah. Putting that, us on that track. That's crazy. That's yeah, crazy. crazy. You, I, I'm like, I'm always, uh, I'm always very kind of uh, protective of like Midlands in it. You know, I don't, I don't, I try not to give uh, London bands any credit whatsoever. It's, ah. just, my, it's just my my hands with no. nice. But I mean, these influence. Yeah. You always hear people talking about a LARP especially, and um, yeah. and the influence you know, is crazy. It, it is crazy. I mean, a LARP were a, a very tight band. You know, a very very tight band. They had some of the best musicians in the industry. Yeah, Kazanchi, you know, uh, and um, the, the keyboard players and people like Johnny Kelsey on the door. Johnny sings an, an amazing singer, you know, uh, and the pucker, uh, pucker musicians. And they were always well rehearsed, always well rehearsed with the, you know, and the songs would sound exactly like they sounded on uh, on the albums. And that's what that's what I always liked about LARP, you know, and uh, and they've influenced a lot of people on the scene, you know, to come forward. But we when we came on the scene, we had our own sound, we had our own style, which was very different from what LARP were doing, you know. Uh, we, 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 were, we, 
we're more Western influenced with our sound. So, so like, like for me as a as a novice or uh, you know just look as a as a fan, you know, there's there's obviously yourself as a performer. There's a different energy in terms of how you perform and how you sound. Yeah. When you started to go into this recording situation when you go into the studio, how were some of your first albums made? Was there kind of a distinct memory that you have? I mean, because they're late 80s of when they started to, to, to come out, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. one, two, three, go, is, you're looking at 1986, you know, towards that time where every, all these other bands are coming out of that bit. Did you feel, one, like the peer pressure of, of some of the other bands, healthy competition? Because... I think mean, all the old school always said that they encourage everyone having healthy competition. Oh, I, yeah. I slightly believe that and disbelieve that. But anyway, <laughs> but when you were going into a studio environment, what was the pressure like? How did you how did you uh, work in, the, in that scenario? Do you know what it was? Let me tell you something. Because we were gigging so much, right? Like we're doing like 80, 90, 100 shows a year, right? Which is virtually every weekend we're gigging. We were learning our craft all the time, every weekend, we're going on stage, we're performing, we're making people dance, right? And you start to realize, okay, people like to dance to this kind of a beat, they like this kind of a melody, and they like bullion, or they like this kind of a song, right? And you, you, you pick up on this kind of stuff, and you say, okay, we're developing, and in the rehearsal room, we're, we're developing our own style. Like, we're, because we were quite a young band, and all born in the UK, we had a lot of like UK influences anyway. Like we were using a lot of reggae in our music, a lot of rocky kind of riffs, rock music in our and pop, a lot of pop synthy kind of sounds mm. in our music as well. So uh, we, we picked up all that influence while we were out on the road, right? And we found we were getting tight as a band because in those days when we'd go into a studio, everything would be recorded live. There was no sequences, there was no samplers, there was no computers. It was like you're recording, you pl they plug you into the tape, and what you play goes straight down onto the tape, you know, uh, and that's it. No second takes. If you do get something wrong, you stop, you start again from the beginning and you go again. So that's how it used to be. And um, so we learned all our craft and learned our style and how to be tight on the road. And then we took that into this rehearsal room, right, and wrote new songs and made melodies, but on those kind of beats, using those kind of sounds that we knew were working for people people like to dance to that kind of stuff and then we kind of formulated it went into the studio recorded it released it and you know people were loving it but our, our groundbreaking album and the album that changed the scene completely for us for dcs was one two three go which you came out you know what i mean that's the 1988 <laughs> you know because that in that album we just pushed the boundaries completely with the styles that we were using, with the sounds we were using, with the kind of songs that we were singing, you know, it just kind of, it just changed the game completely for us. What was your, some of your memory that you, of, of making that particular album? Uh, a lot of late nights in the studio. Uh, the whole band would, would be down there, you know, and we'd be, like I said, we'd be playing live. You'd get like uh, the drums, the bass guitar and the guitar, They'd record first, right, to get the backing track down. And I'd sing my guide vocals along with them. Uh, and Danny would play some keyboard pieces just to sort of kind of keep them in time. And we'd get those three things down first. And then Danny would come in on top of that and play keyboard pads and keyboards, pieces. And I'd play a few 
if it was one of my compositions and stuff. And then we'd do work on all the vocals and stuff and then mixing and everything. It was like, it was like a big, big time. I remember we, it took us a good six months to record that album. Wow. And because at that time we were all working as well. We'd work, finish work about five, six in the evening, seven o'clock, we're at the studio and then we'll work until about two, three, two o'clock in the morning, you know, and then going home, doing the same again next day. Where was so, that recorded? Do you know what, what studio? It was, I don't, that studio never had a name. It was okay. a studio. <laughs> it was on Stratford Road in Birmingham, right? Stratford Road in Spark Hill in Birmingham. And it was upstairs on top of a load of shops. Downstairs, they used to have some bicycle shops. And it was a studio upstairs. And the guy who used to run it was a guy called Phil. I remember he was a bit of a hippie. Long hair and stuff, right? He used to make great tea, though. I remember I used to love his tea. He used to make all these herbal brews that he used to have. Hippie dad kind of thing. You don't know what you don't know what herbal was in there. I think you know And it was only a small place. And there's like ten of us crammed in there all the time, you know. And it was it, it was nice though. Great experience, you know, great experience, great memories, you know. A great laugh, we'd be joking and laughing and stuff. But it's such a tight place. And you would never think that we could get such a sound out of that studio and, and record such a massive album from a little studio like that, you know. It was just amazing. Because Buddha um, Jagpal was talking about how when he heard a Jarnik's album, and yeah. he got that influence where he wanted to take Sufri to do the to do another one of his albums and say that uh, that was the particular sound that he'd wanted. I didn't know like in, um, how conscious other bands were at that time, or were people thinking the same thing? But you've mentioned the key word there: this the sound was the was a, such a unique thing. Was there was it a thing that you wanted to keep going back to that because it had a good a good vibe to it or were you still kind of as a band more free more free spirit and said it didn't matter where we were at no you know uh, i think one two three goal kind of set precedent for our style yeah uh and we always always kind of revisited that album to kind of get inspiration from it again use like or perhaps the style of melody or the kinds of beats or, or, or the kind of the sounds we were using on there. Yeah, you know, we, we still played with those sounds for a good few years after that. And then, um, obviously, you have to keep in mind what's going on in, in the industry anyway. You know? And with the advent of... Our sound changed again quite drastically when Sofri Boys came on the scene. And Sofri's album, uh, Bombed Dumbi, kind of flipped things again and it went, things started going quite dissy again, where they'd been quite poppy before that. Things started going dissy, and the subject matter of the songs kind of changed as well a little bit. Very, getting very patriotic with the uh, lyrical content of songs, you know, and uh, very, very dissy and, and identifying with your roots again. So that kind of stuff started to drift into what we were doing, still keeping a very Western influence to it, but getting very dissy again. He heavily, amp heavily amplified with dolls, though that we started using dolls a lot mm. in in our show as well the way we were performing and also on the recordings as well. And Dumbi's a lot, obviously, you know, because that kind of Desi element started coming back into the music. And I think also with the advent of DJs like PMC and stuff, these kind of sounds like Dool and Dumbi, which he used a lot in his early albums, started to creep back into the, into into Bangladesh music, which it, it was there very early, but then it kind of went and pop music came in. and But around the... 90s to early 90s to mid 90s it started reverting back to the desi stuff you know and uh it went hardcore from there on, on like, the, 
Well, just a, a couple of the albums and a couple of the songs that like stuck out was um, DSS OU1 where you had Coca in there. And then yeah. having, then having, um, with, I mean, doing it for me was like, that was, that was classic there. Cause you did, there's yeah. one song in there, was it Gungana Unplugged, that, that acoustic, cause I think the acoustic vibe is something so unique to yourself. I think like, yeah. just having an acoustic album of your own, it just is, is, it's gotta be done. It has to be yeah. done. You know what I mean? So, you know, was that a conscious decision to say like I want because that is you're going against the grain there. Not that many people yeah, yeah, yeah. something from the mainstream that is coming in and, and you do that. Yeah, you know, well that was like our mainstream influences that we've always had in our music, you know. What it was, I distinctly remember how that track happened. We'd recorded Gangana the other version. There's there's like a reggae version yeah. of it on the album anyway, right? And we were in the studio. Uh, we recorded this at a different studio. This was at Mick St. Clair's studio in Smedic and, 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 and Road. And we were in there, we recorded a couple albums there, and this was one of them. And um, I remember we were sitting in the studio, and me and Fala were in the live room, and he used to play guitar. And he was sitting on the box, box guitar, just strumming away. And he's strumming away and uh, just playing some rhythms and stuff. And I just started singing this gangana over it. And we realized this is sounding quite good. We were just messing around initially. Right? This sounds actually this actually sounds quite good. Why don't we just lay it down and see if it works or not? Right. And then the two of us, we just worked something out. Probably took us about half an hour. He worked out some quick chords and an intro and some pieces and stuff. And I worked out how I was going to sing it slowly. Um, we just went into the studio. He sat in one corner. I sat in the other corner with the mic. And we just did it. Within within an hour, the song was recorded. And it just sounded amazing. Everybody in, in the studio, all the lads that were there, they were gobsmacked. They said, this is brilliant. This is fantastic. We're going to use this and keep it on the album. So we did it. And, uh, you know, it became one of the most popular songs on that album. And if my, if probably my memory serves me correctly, that was probably one of the first unplugged Punjabi songs ever. They had, no one had ever done it before, before that point. So it kind of set a precedent. And obviously a lot of people have done a lot of unplugged tracks since then. But uh, that was one of the first original it's just ones. one that sticks out for me as well. And um, yeah, you know, so like, I'm not even I don't class myself as a knowledge one to know that. But I, I'm, I'm guessing you're fairly confident in that statement anyway. Because uh, oh yeah, you're looking back on it. There isn't that many that that's in there. I just want to kind of like in terms of like the band itself. Then at that point, did it start taking a different direction? Because I'm like. Is one of the things that I've always, as a fan, in terms of like where did this kind of the split? Because everyone started to go their own kind of direction. As you kind of progressed the band forward, what was that like in terms of was it difficult to keep everybody together or or then keeping everyone uh, back? Because I don't because like as when you when you look at it, it's just you know what DCS stands for and it's DCS Shin, but yeah. like the origin story of it is like I don't I don't know where that is. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, out, of, out of DC, D and C are no longer in the band anymore. Yeah. They, they left many, many years ago, and uh, I started take. I took over the band and I started managing it, you know, and, and and working with the lads and keeping everything together. And I've always kind of given my lads a lot of space in the, in the band. You know, I don't kind of drive like, oh, we're going to do this and it has to be this way or this has to be the way. No, it's never been like that with DCS, you know. And I'll let the lads have their space and I'll let them, you know, everyone throws in their 
their ideas and stuff into into the music when when we're in the studios you know mm. uh, it, even in the rehearsal room when we're working together everyone throws in their own, own ideas pops who's who's on the bass i won't tell him what to do he's the bass player it's his job and he'll work it out himself he'll do the bass uh joggy our drummer he'll work out all the drum parts it's his job and he knows it he loves it he's a drummer and he'll work that part out if there's a little bit here or there we need to tweak or something and someone says, oh, I think we could try it this way. We'll try it that way, you know. So it's all a big collaborative process when you're, when you're working in and the studio. And was, was that the same with, like, Danny and Charlie? We're in the band where everyone is contributing together. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, it was, okay. It, it was the same then. It's always been that way. Uh, the, the, the process that we work with, with DCS, is it's always been that way. Yeah. We, we always get the lads involved. The musicians are involved in making the songs because at the end of the day, they're the guys that are going to play on when we go out to, to do gigs they'll, they'll be playing it and that's why we dcs kind of had a reputation of always sounding like we sounded on the album because it's the same guys playing the stuff in the studio that are then are going to play it on stage so they know what they've done and they, they know what sounds they've used and they'll do the exactly same thing on stage and we'll just reproduce the track live uh, and that's why we have a, a massive reputation for always sounding like we sounded on the albums because it, it's definitely a team and i just wanted to kind of just drill in on this on this a, a little bit more because of the the team ethics in there so like today i'll give you an example i was going through punjabi dance nation and i always remember it because that was a time when i was playing doll for like with with budget right. yeah and so right. um yeah <laughs> i've had him on the podcast you can hear that one trust me <laughs> it, it was good it was good so um and I always remember that the, the toll on that whole album was just virtually impossible for me to play. I just didn't, I couldn't even get anywhere close to it. Yeah. And it was uh, just saw on the on the on the on the on the toll, and yeah. it was on the inlay. So I rang. This is the credit to Dips uh, Bamra, and uh, I phoned him. I said, "It was that, wasn't it?" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, it was," because like everyone, they knew that you know what you hear on the tape. And a week later, you'd see the same people performing. You just knew that you knew that these were the, the right one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over the years, and I'm you know, I'm jumping a little bit forward and then coming back. How did you kind of? How did you kind of regulate to make sure everyone was like tight? Because towards the end of the, you know, the scene changed in terms of more DJs coming in, the live bands yeah. slowing down, let's just put it in that way. But you were always one of the more active and busier bands. Yeah. Was it difficult then to, or did you see when you're leading the band to say, you know, I, I need to need to start thinking of the next evolution of the band or, or how, it, how is it working? Or you need if somebody, you know, to spend that much time with a team, for, you're going to fall out with people anyway. How were you able, as a as a kind of a leader in the band, to settle those dif differences and bring those boundaries together? Uh, shall, shall, I, shall I be really frank with you? Yeah. In the band, we've never really, no one's ever really had a big falling out. If people have ever left the band, it's because of their own circumstances, personal circumstances, rather than having a fallout from the band and walking away from it. It's never been like that. It's always been because something in their life has changed or... Uh, they've had some personal conflict within within their own family or something that something's they've had to leave the band for that reason um but never over music or over anything in the band has any of the members left or we, we've ever had the disagreement like i said i've always given my guys this space you know and dcs is a band we've spent a lot of time in rehearsal rooms working as a band we were the only band and i can probably say this hand on heart right when we were doing like 100 gigs a year, we'd still be rehearsing two times a week. 
We do four gigs a week and rehearse, still rehearse two times a week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Week to make sure we were tight and always working on new material, always tweaking stuff within the set to keep it fresh. We had to do that because we couldn't sound the same for 20 years and, and, you know, and stay at number one. We have to keep tweaking stuff and keep changing it. And the only way we could do that was in the rehearsal rooms. And the lads all the time used to turn up to rehearsal two times a week and we'd rehearse and, and get stuff worked out. And, we, you know, and that's how we stayed the tightest all the time. So, you and, know, the, the, I, I want to kind of lead up the, the frame to possibly, I argue that it's still one of the best UK albums of all time with Punjabi Dance Nation. One, because I bought it on the CD about three times. <laughs> <laughs> because the amount of tracks that you had, had on it, I think it was the one yeah. of the first albums that I spent £10 on. I bought CDs with <laughs> £10. Now, where the fuck is this money coming from? You know what I mean? You know what I mean? And, yeah, you, yeah. and you, it, it weren't like just six six tracks and three of them were shit. These were like bangers, every single one of them. Every single track was Yeah, yeah, so yeah. How did you... How you did know, you that, pop up? Go on, tell me. I just need to know. Just tell me anything. You know, that 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 album did become a bit of a textbook and, and a lot of people took bits from that album and flavours from that album and then they were replicating stuff. And we could hear it all around that other people were copying what we had done in this song or what we'd done in there or and we could hear stuff. So that 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 album was quite a game changer, quite an, an influencer. It influenced a lot of bands that were working in studios at the time. And that... There was a song we did on that album called DCS Meets TDF, right? Which was with the Door Foundation, Johnny Kelsey, who who came as a guest player on that album. And and Jassa, who was our Door player, <clears throat> he was part of TDF as well. He used to play with Johnny. He used to do Johnny's classes here in Birmingham. He used to run the TDF Absolutely. in Birmingham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, we had an idea while we were recording that I want to I, I want to use about the maximum amount of door players I can get into a studio on a track, right? Just to get that energy, right? To see how big we can sound, just make the sound massive, right? And uh, we got the song recorded from, uh, well, I got the, so I got the song written from Dave Ride Jussel, who guy I worked really close with on most of my albums. And he wrote this beautiful song for me. And uh, we made the melody. And then I spoke to Johnny. 
I spoke to Justin, I spoke to Johnny, and I said, look, man, I want to record this song. We need to get about 12 or 13 dollies into a studio and just bang this track out, right? Get it really tight, rehearse it, and bang it out. And when we recorded it, we had 16 door players in the studio, and they were banging it out, recording it, right? And it, it, was, just, it was just amazing. The sound in that studio, you couldn't stand in that studio. You know, they, they had to wear cans to drown out most of the sound because they were just so loud. And <clears throat> it was an amazing experience recording that album. I and recording to. that song in particular. Because it's not it's not a short song. It's about a 10-minute track as well. I know. I know. On, you know what I mean? And there was lots of drops in, drop-ins, drop-outs. I had, jo- I, had jo- I had Johnny Kelsey on the podcast, so we've gone through th- that song in particular. Because yeah. I was a door blaster. Yeah. You know, we got John. All right. That yeah. was that was like the fid- forbidden fruit in it. There was all this healthy competition, and they got a track with with these. So every time it was being played, we were like, "Oh man, you know," because the 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 delegates of what the TDF did on that was. Oh yeah, yeah. That's know. what I was gonna say. That that became a bit of a textbook for door players. If a door player could play that song, right? TDF song. He was a competent door player. He was a good door player. You know, and anything, that, that became, anything that on that album. Better. Anything on that album for door players, yeah. Uh, you know, the, 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 it was like because the door sounded different on that album as well. Because um, oh, yeah. yeah, it was it was it was class. But even like other songs that he did, Benjamin Nicole and Jordi Jordi Wilson is one of my favorite songs. Because um, <laughs> yeah. I used yeah. to kind of, yeah, I used to, um I was having driving lessons at that time a little bit, but I used to say. Hear it in the porch. At least you got like, bathroom singing, and you're like, "How did you get to there?" You know, it's like, "Oh, unbelievable!" You know, I, yeah, it was okay. only the one of the few CDs. Is that another fine mess? Hundred percent proof. I used to just have on repeat constantly. I couldn't. Yeah, afford right, yeah. it. I was after that. But like, when you when you make an album like that, and it has such a monster hit, and I think it was the kind of also part of that tipping point of where music started going to more CDs, and then going into. um Piracy started kicking in more and more when yeah. when, when the CDs were, were done. Did you, at every stage of these albums coming, you can see your momentum, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. That pressure on yourself, did you, when you hit an album like that, it's, it's, it's successful at many different genres, at different age groups, because you've reworked some of your classics that you've done. You've yeah. put it all together and you're hitting new fans. You've got older fans, you've got... You know, I, I I told I had Polly Tank on uh, a few days a few a few episodes ago, and I remember Eat Rhythm. He you guys being at um, Ajgal, and like yeah. mom, like into the competition and got a signed T-shirt. I'm still trying to get that find that T-shirt <laughs> that was sent there. But oh, like, wow. yeah, wow. it was like every marketing wise, you see people evolving in terms of profession in terms of pressure. How difficult was it to keep trying to better the album before? And then did you feel like? After Punjabi Dance Nation, that you you reach that level again. Um, I think after Punjabi Dance Nation, scene the scene quite kind of quite it changed as well. Uh, after Punjabi Dance Nation, you had like like a lot of the the the, uh, the PA acts started happening. So music changed, the style of music changed, the trend started to change. Uh, samplers started coming in, computers started coming into recordings. Uh, so the whole style of the the kind of recordings that we, we needed to make was changing. The the band vibe was going down a little bit, and the the, the boy bands like the uh, B twenty ones, those kind of acts were like coming up, coming onto the scene. The RDBs, uh, and, and the kind of sound, sound basically, yeah, 
yeah, that, that, those kind of sounds were all coming in, you know. So the whole scene changed at that time as well. So, uh, I mean, w with the album we did after that, which was a lot... Punjabi Dance Nation carried us for about, I think, a good eight, nine to ten years. We didn't record another album. We were just so busy because of Punjabi Dance Nation. Mm -hmm. And then when we finally got around to doing it, you know, we, we did um, Desi Culture Shock, oh. which was would a really you know popular album for us mm -hmm. where but then i found like i was working with other artists a lot so i did a, i did a collaboration with joggy d on that mm -hmm. album uh I, I recorded with uh just been was it on the album just been the ruler as well i, I did, did so I, had Rob but, but I had to do Rob yeah, with, yeah. with jayshree from uh india so I, I started working with getting guests art guest artists in on the albums and i did a couple couple of collaborations as well with people like Shinda, Sukshinda Shinda, uh, DJ Vix. So I was getting, starting to work with other people as well. You do like so Toe Blasters as well with Gajan, didn't it? Like I remember, because I used to go to Rookery, which was opposite his yeah. studio. So I used to see like people going in and I remember you like, I had one of your, the posters with Sadara, Gajan, yeah. and you're next to it, wearing the whole outfit. The yeah, 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 in the middle. Yeah, so oh. I, I was working with them as well. I did, did a couple of tracks with them. So I, I, I started to like this kind of collaboration vibe, which was becoming quite popular during that era. You know, uh, there was like uh, singers collaborating all over the place. So, I, you know, it, it, it was a good feeling. You know, I really enjoyed and because I knew most of these artists anyway, you know, uh, uh, that gave us a chance to kind of also work with those artists and see how they work, you know, and how they go about doing their job and how they are in the studio, how they how they are creatively, how they work creatively. So and bouncing off each other with ideas and stuff. So it was it was a really good time. And but the journey kind of changed. You know the the way we recorded, uh, the way we made our songs, the whole process changed with the advent of sampling and studios coming in in a big way uh, and uh, computers especially. Were you did you also kind of like you also always had that strong affiliation with this, the with Bollywood music and that as well. Did yeah. you, were you still getting drawn back to kind of some of those projects as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I always like revisiting Bollywood, you know, because I have such a big passion for it, you know, and Ruffy's, Mama Ruffy's my idol, you know, and we did an album uh, in the early 2000s uh, called Hongi uh, Najuda, which was like a Bollywood pop album again, you know, like R&B hip hop album. Uh, I worked with a guy called Hunters, <clears throat> who recorded half the album, yeah. and DCS did the other half. And that was a great experience, you know, it's brilliant. I, I loved doing that album. We really enjoyed recording it, the whole process. Different style of singing, different genre of music, you know, and it was a, it was a really good experience, you know, and working with Hunters was amazing as well. You know, um, he's, he's such a talented guy, such a good producer, such a fantastic beat maker. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm always kind of revisiting Bollywood in that in that respect. So we, we got an impression of what a young Shin was like that. But a shin 20 years ago in the 2000s where the scenes are changing and you're seeing all the new talent, do you kind of distinctly remember what it was like seeing this? Or was it... Because if you if you speak to a producer now, you've got two schools of thought. One is like, oh, these kids are just using music samples and botching it all together. And the other one is where the art, where they've learned the whole kind of the mastery... Master, mastery... Oh, forget it. You know, the... <laughs> Let's, they're good at the tabla, yeah. Just put yeah, it. Right, yeah. yeah, the master yeah, yeah. the tabla, right? The master yeah, yeah. the uh, musical sound. Yeah. Where, as a vocalist, were you noticing the same thing where people hadn't done learnt through rags or done thing more and more? You'd get the odd singer who hadn't learnt that, right? 
But was yeah. it were you looking at the new talent coming through? Was it where is the new talent, or was it like these guys are shit? Well, not <laughs> in my yeah. Well, uh, I obviously realised that uh, people aren't learning their craft right because there weren't that many good singers around. There was no one emerging, uh, and even music producers didn't really know their craft properly. You know, they couldn't. Some of them couldn't even play a keyboard properly. Uh, they're using the sat the engineers in the studios to do to play their music for them, or they're using programs, uh, samples and stuff, you know, to, to, to get everything done. So I realized a long time ago that, you know, the new breed of singers and music producers and musicians are not really putting the time in. They don't know their craft as well as they should do. You know, they're not learning their chords. Uh, so when they're making melodies, they're just bodging it all up. Uh, and then you have to go in when I come in, then I'm correcting stuff for them or fixing things up so that they're sounding proper or they're getting other uh, musicians who know their business to come in and do the, do the work properly for them. You know, that we're noticing all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And that is a big problem going forwards because um, it changes the kind of songs that are being produced. The, the, the music has become a lot simpler. It's not as complicated as it used to be because they don't have the knowledge to make a complicated song. They can't, they can't work with rags. A lot of them don't know rags. A lot of them don't know scales, you know, uh, if you if you said uh, uh, play a minor scale for me, or play a major scale, or play a D seventh for me, they wouldn't be able to do it. They wouldn't know what you're talking about. Or play Darbari Rag for me, or play um, Asavari for me. You know, they wouldn't be able to do it. They wouldn't know what they're talking about. You know, but you know, so there is a big lack of education musically in that sense, and I think that's why music is so simple now. It's just a big beat and a simple tumbilik, and uh, uh, you know, and a, a very simple keyboard. Going in If you listen to this new stuff, there's hardly any music there. There's nothing there. There's like four or five sounds and that's it. Whereas in our days, we're layering stuff. You know, we've got drums, we've got toluk, tapla, tol. We've got bass guitar, guitar, rhythm guitar, lead guitar. We've got keyboards, we've got pads, we've got string section, we've got lead piece. There's, there's like, we we go to studios, like they got, 36 tracks on their desk, right? We'd end up using 50, 50 tracks of music. That's before any singing starts. You know, it was, we, that's how we used to layer stuff back in the day. Wow. I just got, you can make a song with just four tracks. And and, and you go back to when Great. we started off the, the you know, the, the podcast when you were talking about the, memorizing pieces and those pieces are being, yeah. they're, they're not here anymore. They're not here anymore, no. Let me give you an example, right? Uh, I, I just re-recorded an old track of mine, Nashadia uh, Bandbordle with DJ Vix, right? We, we did that track. And when we were working the song out, we, we, we were sitting, talking about how we're going to format the song, the new version of it, right? Because uh, Vix redid all the music and everything. Now he's a guy who knows about his music, right? And then uh, I said, look, Vix, why don't we take some of the old music pieces from there? They're quite, they're quite classic, you know, and and... You know, people in the industry recognize that stuff. And he said, Baji, he said, I don't think we should use any music in it because he said, the crowd Ajkal is such like when the, when the artist is singing and the beat is playing, right? It's fine. But when some music starts to play and there's no singing, he said, they, they, they kind of get lost and they don't know what's going on. And they're looking around, saying, where's the vocals gone? <laughs> and I can't think. And, 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 and I thought, yeah, you know, he's probably to a certain extent, this, you know, he's a DJ and he's out there and he's, 
is he knows what's happening but on the it, new but isn't that just the problem though isn't that just the problem where the music started catering the dance floor rather than the art where you you know where where you're sitting back re- relaxing you're hearing the pieces and you're and you're playing it with your your fingers in your head or whatever it is but though if it, it, it depends on the motivation of what the track is if you're going to make yeah. a track that you think it's only going to become popular if it's banging on a dance floor then you've got no space for those pieces if you're yeah. doing and I think that that's the value of the albums because albums have made a really small comeback, but I don't believe they're real albums in a way because an album has always been a theme and a story that goes through the whole of the all of it. Yeah. Now yeah. you're getting ten songs just botched together. And Watch should, yeah, they're, oh, there's one laying around here. There's oh, there's one that I forgot about. Let's stick that on there, <laughs> and then it, and and it's just a mashup. Whereas yeah, that thematic theme through it where you could actually put across, um. You know, you could dedicate some time, and you can you can feel it through. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you like you say, if you ever listen to any of the older albums, there is a certain sound running through the whole the whole album. Mm-hmm. There is a certain theme running through the whole album. Lyrically, vocally, everything seems to one song seems to flow into another, and it's all it all it's all connected. Like it's it's all you know, it's like one universe. Whereas, like you say now, because they latte, because they buy, you know, and it's all kind of you got a Frankenstein kind of thing. Even the skits, you know, Utajab Bobby in it, you know, I used to know that word. Yeah. And they used to just flow with the album. As yeah, well. they used to flow with the album because yeah. there was a spirit running through that whole album. Yeah. And that that lifestyle and what we were all about, you know, those those skits were all about our day-to-day kind of thing, you know, the, what we encountered during the day, you know. Like some of the lads used to go and sign on earlier. So the Bobby skit came from there. You know, and some of the phone conversations, I also had a boy in Manda and all this kind of business, you know. And all this kind of business, these conversations I used to have with people who wanted to book DCS. Those conversations went into those skits, you know. And, it was, yeah, so it was all part of our life that we were putting into. We were, we were putting our heart and soul and our lives into those albums. You know, like I told you, we'd spend six months in a studio just recording, 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 scrap, record, record, scrap, record, record again, you know, and make until we got final eight tracks or six tracks or whatever the album consisted of and that was it you know like how busy you were and doing it did you ever take any students on or did you or do you still do that now in terms of like carrying on the art of sangeet or or do you think yeah, you know, oh, i don't want to do anything you know people people are always I, I get phone calls from guys asking me shindus teach I used, there was a time when i used to teach right uh, but what happened was i ended up cancelling most of the lessons because i was always busy off doing something else I'd be in the studio or I'd be out gigging or I wouldn't have time to, you know, to give them proper attention. And do you care? So, I, you know, I thought oh, I'm wasting their time. So I stopped teaching uh, many, many years ago. But guys still phone me up. And I, and I kind of put them on to other people that I know, like my good buddies who also learn from uh, the same places I used to learn from. And uh, they're competent teachers. But, you know, um, yeah, so I, I stopped teaching many, many years ago, really. You know, I'd love to start doing it again. But time allowing. You know, because mm. when you when you teach somebody, you got to give them full attention. You know, you can't just. I'll teach you this rag, go away. You know, mm. and then come back after two weeks, and I'll teach you another rag, go away. That's not what it's about. When you're teaching someone to sing, you got to spend some serious time with them and cultivate them, because it's not just about learning rock singing. It's not just about learning rags. It's about developing your voice. It's about your lifestyle. You know, it's about uh, voice production 
uh, voice culture. There's a lot that goes into it, you know, and you, most Indian teachers don't even teach all that stuff. Voice culture is something they don't really teach that much of in Asian classical, Indian classical music. It's all about rags and it's all about learning the rags and the murkian and stuff. But there's something called voice production, which you need, which they tend to teach you more of in Western music. What is so that I, then? What is that then? If you got, if, what what is voice, voice production? Is more about looking after your voice, right? right? And how to produce your voice, how to sing, you know, high and low, uh, without ruining your voice, without straining your voice, being able to do it properly. And like we, we, when we go on, when we used to go on stage back in the day, we were like singing for three or four hours for one show, three or four hours at weddings, and you can only do that if you know what you're doing, if you know how to produce your voice. Otherwise. Within, I, I've seen singers now, new singers, within like 15, 20 minutes, they're gone. They're finished. The voices are done. They can't sing another song. And, and half of them ain't even singing live anyway because they're, they're singing over a miming a, a track and still the voices are threatened. You know what I mean? I, I that, always got... That's all down to bad voice production and not knowing how to use your lungs, how to use your diaphragm, how to produce your voice. And this stuff has to be learned. And you're still doing your rias every... You're still doing it Every, every day, day. hour minimum an hour right minimum of hour every day yeah half an hour in the morning one hour in the evening that is yeah. that, that is the love for the art that's the dedication it is it's love for the art I, there's nothing i enjoy more than singing i look forward to coming into my music room in the evening spending my one hour here with my harmonium just singing singing songs singing guzzles singing bollywood singing punjabi singing singing bollywood you know, singing rags and stuff, you know, and I just sit with my harmonium and I just love it. I just love love doing it. You know, there's nothing else because for me, it's like a meditation as well. I do my rials in the morning and it, it's not like I'm not making a noise in the house because everyone's still asleep. Hmm. 6.30 in the morning, everyone's still asleep, but I'm up and I'm, I'm doing my rials and it's done in a beautiful, gentle way because I'm, I'm waking my body up. I'm waking my voice up. I'm waking my soul up. I'm waking my mind up this process of singing it's like a yoga it's like an act of yoga because your breathing has to be active as well so it's like i'm waking up my whole body and it's like doing yoga in the morning but it's like it's like a, it's, it's got a very spiritual thing about it but it has yeah, to be done i'm telling right, you now it's done in the right way there's a dvd to be made about this you could make the, you could sell it as a, as a fitness, fitness. You, <laughs> you could do you could do i mean on the internet now there's loads of stuff all over the place you can find stuff you know on youtube and, and there's a there's a there's doing a <laughs> you know it, it's a very serious thing yeah yeah if you connect with it there's nothing like it um i, I want to ask you a couple of um experience uh, <clears throat> questions to be honest in terms of like your opinion you've talked about a lot of the new blood and and and, uh, and, and advice wise sorry not advice wise but some of the things that you've done as an example how did you, as a, as a person, kind of navigate through the politics of the industry through various years and various eras? What, what how did you, how did you do that? Uh, do you know what it, what it is? I've always kind of stayed away from, from mixing too much with people in the industry. I've always kept away from the politics side of things. Um, I kind of, I, I kind of stay. I'm kind of a bit of, I'm, I'm a homey kind of guy, right? So I spend a lot of, a lot of my time in my studio or at home, uh, doing what I need to do, or I'm in the gym, or I'm just, you know, 
my life centers around what I need to do for music to stay as a performing artist, right? So I don't get involved within the industry. Uh, sometimes I'm called in, like if there's a big collaboration track going on, then yeah. someone will call me and like, we're doing this collaboration track. We want you to be part of it. Okay, I'll go in and I'll do what I need to do. And then I'm out of there. I, I will not get involved or embroiled into any kind of, politics that's being used or being you know uh, or any group group buzzy within the industry i don't i don't get i'm not i haven't got time for it and i'm not interested in it i'm i'm here to make music and i'm here to entertain people as an entertainer uh, and that's all i'm interested in not interested in politics mm. yeah because uh, one of the things that i i kind of see and and what i've kind of experienced is kind of the it sounds a bit you know, a bit negative, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of explain it. It was like the drug culture that's within there. Like, yeah. I've seen it where, in terms of, like, the, the late 80s, it went through the pill section, and that's more, and that's the creative side of it. It's kind of kicking in. Then it went into different bits, and then now you see, like, the, the drug game, especially, like, with, with like, Coke and all of these kind of things, like, mm. ru ruining, and especially singers, if they've got, like, th that vocal thing. I mean, like, I mean, the easiest answer is to say, oh, don't do it in that. But yeah. now there's so much money involved in terms of, you know, you have to earn the right to stand on the stage. Now people are giving a stage. And then the money yeah. that's coming in there. How do you think, like, do you do you see people and you start, like, panic when you think the masses of money? I mean, some DJs earning up to half a million pound a year. Or, and yeah. then some, you know, successful, way, way more than that. And you yeah. just think of that, imagine the money that's involved at the time of the distraction. What kind of advice can you give at that time? Uh, I mean, first of all, you know, it's, it's, it's great to see DJs and artists that are doing well and earning a lot of money in this industry because it's about time that the industry allowed people to make a big bucks and, and, and you know, making a living, make a living out of music. I mean, lucky artists like myself and other artists from my era who did really well managed to make a living out of it, right? But now people are on, it shows are on another level, artists are on another level with social media and stuff, you know? So that 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 is great. But obviously, like, I see, I see where you're coming from. All the other stuff, all the other baggage that comes along with all that stuff, it, it's, it's hard to control. It's been in the industry from before we even came into the industry. Mm. The drugs, the alcohol, uh, the women, you know, uh, the what you name it, yeah. it's all there. It's available. It's 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 accessible. Alcohol is virtually everywhere. In in, you know, I shouldn't say this because I sing so many songs about alcohol, right? So it's so many of my hit songs are about alcohol. Yeah. But you know, it, it's part of our culture. Alcohol. I'm talking about. I'm not talking about drugs or anything like that. I'm talking about alcohol as a certain thing. It's part of not just Asian culture. It's world culture. What was I saying? Fifty percent of the planet, the population of the planet, probably drink. Yeah, probably fifty percent don't. But I, I would, I would, has it a good guess that fifty percent of the population drink on this planet, right? Because it is, a, it is an accepted social drug that we allow ourselves to indulge in, uh, and some people can control it, right? Because its whole purpose is originally it was med a medicinal thing. Daru was a medicinal thing, and we still call our medicines Daru in India. There's a, there's a reason for that, right? Because alcohol was a, a, originally a medicinal thing for people, but then obviously 
people found out found that more, everyone's going to misuse something, toxic, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll it will misuse it to to a certain degree. But socially, at weddings, birthdays, you name any kind of Asian social function, except for anything outside of a gurdwara, mm. right? In, obviously, in, in religious circumstances, with a setting, we don't use it. Mm. But outside of those settings, it's there all the time and in every party, and we use it, and it's accepted, right? It has its, it, it, you know, it, it, it's ha obviously it has its drawbacks. Some people can't control it, and it's ruined not only many of life, it's ruined many artists, artists in front of my eyes, musicians, biggest singers in the world, people like, you know, Manak, people like Bindra Akia, you know, these people. It's ruined their careers, you know, completely. They went before their time, mm -hmm. most of them. Yeah. But what can you do? It's part of this. It's part of our culture. It's part of the system. And it's not going to go anywhere. It's been there for, for yonks, you know, for, yeah. for millennia. Uh, it ain't going anywhere. It's something we have to live with, but it's something we have to try and control. Every individual has to try and control, you know, how they deal with that part of their life. I remember seeing a singer, I won't say who, but an older singer who was very famous, helped, you know, set the scene. And then he yeah. goes, oh, he only sings better after the interval once he's had a whole bottle of Shabazz. <laughs> his throat opens up that you know he can sing he can sing yeah. a lot better that is a misconception nobody's throat opens up when they sing all it does is it takes your it calms your nerves a little bit it makes you into a tiger right it doesn't make your voice better but it makes you feel that you can sing better or it, you know some people uh, are, are very stage shy the biggest singers in the world are stage shy some of them but they have to, you know, they they have a little drip top before they go on stage because it helps them to relax. The, some of the biggest singers in the world, you know, like people like Pavarotti, people, the, the singer, people, I can't remember his name, biggest classical singer from, from the early 1920s. What was his name, Yard? I should know his name. I've forgotten now. Oh, no. He'd have a drink before he goes on because it used to help calm him, bring his nerves And down. this is where you're bringing in just, the... Just a little pot. This is where you're thinking about where the voice production bit comes in, doesn't it? Yeah, the voice production. It doesn't actually help you. It does not help you. It, wow. It's proven through science that alcohol will not help you sing better. It will make you think you're singing better. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. I, there's many yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Otherwise, people start digging out me singing at weddings. I ain't going to do that. <laughs> um, okay. So... I'm just going to kind of get a, a grasp of your kind of your interest in this. So what was, what's your favorite DCS album and favorite DCS song? <laughs> You're going to have to do it now. Yeah. Then yeah, I'm going to ask you. Oh, ask me that question. Then yeah. after DCS. Because, and that. because there's so many songs, you know, there's just so many songs. Okay. I'll pick probably what, an obscure one. Probably something like Labadi Utte Janatki. Because it, it's a song. It's a singer's song you can enjoy singing that kind of song if you're that kind of a singer and I'm that kind of a singer and those are the kind it's, the, it's those kind of songs that I enjoy singing the sad songs the songs that have got meaning to them the love songs that you know those songs with a bit of weight to them Tehral you know is that, is that, that one that you can put forward is, is that one that you can put forward that you say if you're a singer sing this song and then you it, it would like yeah yeah that's one yeah yeah right yeah yeah or one of the, you know, those kind of songs, basically. Yeah. yeah. And the album then? 
the album, I don't know. I really don't know. Probably, it's, it's, it wasn't an album, it was an EP that we recorded. It was uh, Eat Rhythm. I would, I would probably go for that because um, we had a lot of variety on that album. With, with that track, Nasha the Abundable, it was a, yeah, yeah. a massive dance floor anthem to this day. And then, uh, then we had um, a couple of other tracks. And we did like a, a cover of a Nusrat Kuali, uh, uh, which was amazing. I, I really love that track. And uh, then there was a, a track called Like which are very rootsy Punjabi traditional kind of track. And so we, we covered a lot of uh, variety in that, in, in just four tracks. Each track was from a different genre, you know, uh, pop, Kawali, um, uh, the, the, the prop, all of that Desi track and all that dance floor track, you know. So we covered a lot of genres with that album. I had, I had. Four notes, uh, four bullet points for this uh, for this interview for the yeah. whole of this year, and one of them, the last point on there, it said Koali. Koali. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that, but it's wicked. That's brilliant. Thank you very yeah. much. You know, you did you did my job for you. I love it. Um, <laughs> non uh, non DC uh, DCS favorite album and um, and and song. Is there always like a go to kind of album where you think, oh, I just need that or a song? Um, I think my favorite is probably uh my favorite my favorite non D the fa favorite non DCS track right is probably a track called Hasogia by uh, Serge Sahota from the Sahotas. I just love that song, love the melody. I love the way Serge just sang it, and I love the music on it. And and, and I I was always a big fan Sahota fan. I love the style of of their music, you know. And um, we just did a show together last week. We did this um. Thing called uh, One Last Dance. There was a DCS Apna Sagit, Sahotas, and Mangal Singh, and Pretty Kaur. And Sergi's set, I was on side of stage and I danced all the way through his set. It was amazing. I loved it, enjoyed it so much. Enjoyed it so much. I, I remember seeing um, Sahotas, DCS at um, ISIS in Nottingham club gig. Okay. Okay. And, and it was, a, I think that's probably the last time we've seen a band that big. Like yeah. together, and you know, it was. Oh, I'll always remember that because, um, oh, it was a, the sound, yeah. The soldiers were a solid band as well. Yeah, I, mean, I, I love them, I love this sound, fantastic. So, um, what what does the what does the future hold for you now? Because I, I know there's a couple of things I need from you. Is there's loads of tracks that I know you've recorded out then. When are they ever going to see the light of day? In what kind of format will it be done? <laughs> Would you do an acoustic album, please? An unplugged album? Okay. Uh, yeah, that's it. What does it look like for you then? Well, you know this unplugged album you're talking about. I've I've been with, I've been trying to do something for a long time, and then I get cold feet about it. Are people going to like unplugged album? All right, I'm going to do it. I'll do, I'll do another track. And they, are they going to like this kind of stuff? Why, do you, stuff? why do you care? You've got, <laughs> hang on, you've got 40 years worth of evidence to prove that whatever you've done has been decent. You've got gold yeah. discs behind, behind you. Yeah. Why are you going to give a shit about somebody who has nothing to do and your proper fans going, please do it. What harm can it do? Yeah, true. You're quite right. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how I should be thinking. Yeah, and that's how... Well, it's, it's all there. The masala yeah. is all there. It's ongoing. You know, and I've got the tracks there, and I'm working on them. Still need tweaking and stuff. But that the, the acoustic album is is there, 
I'm, I'm doing collaborations with other artists as well. So I'm working with other artists. And th there's always new songs on the horizon. There's, there's stuff I've got going with a couple of producers at the moment. Because we don't, we don't do so much now as, as DCS because that kind of live sound, it, it, it's, it doesn't really work anymore, you know. Uh, we did try it a while back, but it, it, it didn't really click. So we've got tracks on the go. Uh, I work with some of the lads from the band uh, who helped me on my recordings anyway. So uh, we've got work coming out as DCS. There's stuff, like I said, with a couple of collaborations. And this acoustic album, yeah, I'll have to get that back on the uh, frying pan. Yeah, as soon as I copy, I'm dragging you back ah. on here. I'm going to harass oh, you I'd love again. To, I'd love to, <laughs> love to be so, here. So the last thing I do, and I'll bring, in, bring it to a close, because I've, I've honestly, I've enjoyed this so much. The um, This is called The Bandwagon. So is there a okay. bandwagon that you want to jump on or off? Or is there just something that you want to get off your chest? This is your space to kind of discuss. Bandwagon. You don't have to follow it. It could be just something else that you're just thinking about. You just want to get off your chest. This is your space. Uh, you know, I, I, we've talked about this before. We touched on this before <clears throat> earlier about the talent in this country. Right? It would be a big shame if the scene in this country completely died out. Right? I mean, it, at the moment, the whole scene is mainly being produced from India or Canada. Right? <clears throat> Whereas it used to be the UK. The UK was the centre of the Bangla universe. Our generation um, was the generation that sold Bangla back to India, right, and to the rest of the world. It became massive. It became a monster. It just took over everything, right? The, the British Bangla sound that we produced in this country sold all over the world. And it's a, sh it's a shame to see that demising completely. When artists like me hang up our microphones, that's it. This country's done. I don't see any new artists emerging from this country. So my thing is to please new artists out there. I want to encourage you to come forward, produce music in this country, you know, sing in this country, learn to sing, learn your craft, and come on, make some noise, make some music. Get out there. You can do it. This country was leading the way. And it's done that for the last 30 years or so, 40 years or so. So please, we need to keep doing it. Come back, come up, emerge, come out of your cloakrooms, come out, come out, come out of the closet, come out of your bedrooms and bang it out there. Do it, man. I'll help you if you need help. I'll put you in touch with people. But come out there, please. Please. Well, it there's the be... message. There's the challenge. It's been laid down. It's documented yeah. from when it's going to be laid down. But um, honestly, from, you know, just want to say a big thank you to you for, 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 for coming on here, sharing yeah. your history. I think it's really important to have stories like these documented as on many podcasts and share it down because once you yeah. once people have gone, they've gone, it's hard to kind of get it down and narrate yeah, this yeah. oral history, you know, once no. more. Yeah, um, thank you very much for doing this. You know, it's it's, it's a great service you're not you're doing for the Bangla industry, you know, and for, for 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 people, you know, like you say, they can hear back and I, I got one get picture. angle on things. <laughs> well, I got one picture where I was playing at Samson's. You were doing a Hampstead, Hampstead Hall gig, and it was my, one of my first tours. I was, I was there. I, just, I had that at my university picture. I still got it. I was like, all right. <laughs> honestly, oh, great times with like the influence that you've had on other people is something that um, I don't think you'll probably ever get to hear about. You know, where you would probably hear the same comments. Oh, yeah, you did, but you're like a soundtrack for people's lot for for their lives that you've done. 
parents' yeah. weddings, then the kids' weddings, and now you do well, yeah. Yeah, first yeah. dances and all the. <laughs> it's it's at that point now. Yeah, I've been in the industry so long now. I did the parents now. I'm doing the children. Yeah. <laughs> hey, weddings, yeah. Oh, uncle, we want to book you because you did my dad's wedding as well. So I want to book you for mine as well. So, all right, okay. So you, you ain't getting no family discount, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Zee. I really appreciate it. Thank you very Thank much. You. Thank you, Rick. Thank you. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.